10A with the Next Phase podcast, sitting here with Justin. Go ahead, Justin, introduce yourself. What was your drug of choice? And pretty much just tell your story. I, um, I'm Justin. Uh, my drug of choice was meth, ketamine, and acid. Um, so I'll start right uh, pretty much when I was younger. Um, my, I grew up in a family of addicts and alcoholics, man. They, uh, I, I was pretty much born into the game, bro. They, um, they, they, you know, holidays every, you know, every day of the week was a big old party. And, uh, me and my siblings and cousins, we grew up around that. So, you know, getting together and feeling good was a big part of, uh, my life. You know what I mean? So, and it was something that kind of was distilled into me after some point and you know my my father wasn't in my life until I was about 16 like he was here and there but um he was an addict as well uh he would come by my uncle's get his stuff you know what I mean pick up and then he would tell me he loves me and bounce out um so I, I grew up with my mom and my stepdad and my dad my stepdad man he's been a big part of my life and uh dude's smart man dude's really smart he uh he's taught me a lot you know he doesn't say a lot but when he says something man it really it really sends a ring to my ear man it really opens my eyes to things but um so my uncle he uh he was big into drugs he was a drug dealer um and and you know i always seen him with money, champagne, crystal, all that stuff, you know, getting love from the hood to the club. Was he the plug? Yeah, he was the plug for sure. Um, so, you know, I seen that. Me and my little cousin, we both seen that, and, you know, that's something we wanted. Um, everyone was always surrounded by him. And uh, he was looking at 10 years after, uh, you know, some bad stuff he got into. And when uh, he was going through that, I ended up stealing his stash of weed and basically I, I was at a charter school at the time ninth grade um, you know I was bouncing around from alternative schools and like that because of trouble uh, I, I started selling his weed and I got caught I was at a church at, at the charter school man you were selling weed at church yeah Damn. yeah and the pastor caught me he um Luckily, they didn't call the cops, but they told my principal and they suspended me for two weeks. And uh, my mom got a good habit of throwing me out and sending me to my dad's. Uh, when I was when I was 16, man, he got clean, tried to act like a father, come back into my life. He He's a good dad, you know, but um, he decided to come into my life and try and, you know, pick things up from there like nothing ever happened. So, um yeah, so I went to his house for two weeks. Uh, he ended up going, hey, you know, you smoke, huh? I said, yeah. And he goes, you want a cigarette? I said, yeah. And so we smoked this and that, and then I ended up living with him doing uh, school online. And uh, his way of getting me to do my work and stuff like that was, hey, do your schoolwork, and, uh, and I'll throw you a little bit of weed. Did it work? <laughs> yeah. So, right. you know what I mean? It worked for like a month. Um, so my mom, it didn't really help, you know, the situation with my mom because she was like sending me there to get my act straight and it didn't work. So a little after that, um, I started living with my dad, you know, and we moved 
over right next to my high school that I ended up going to, normal old high school, um, and the whole baseball team there. And where was that at? Uh, at Desert Ridge High School. Okay, like Phoenix, Mesa? Uh, Mesa, Mesa, okay. Gilbert area. Um, yeah, so the whole baseball team would party right next door. And all the seniors and stuff. And I was only in ninth, 10th grade. Um, I was hopping in my backyard wall after sneaking out one night with a buddy. And uh, we're hopping the wall. And we see all these chicks... And everybody partying, man, and smoking and shit. And uh, they're all, hey, you guys smoke? I'm like, yeah, of course we smoke. You know what I mean? They're like, you want to come over here and party with us? I said, yeah, of course I do, man. So instead of sneaking out and going skating around, man, we ended up partying with the neighbors. And then it became an every night thing. Um, my dad didn't really mind much. But uh, that's when I started drinking a lot. And so it was to the point where, you know, I, one time, me and my cousin were going over there to party. And uh, I had church the next morning. And my grandma was taking us. And uh, I fell asleep. I, so a dude was like, I'll, I'll give you a high five if you drink this bong water. What's a high five? Just a high five. A regular old high five. And I was so drunk, man, I went for it. These guys were cool to me. You know, in my eyes, they were cool. They were all seniors. They partied all the time. Yeah, I thought a high five was some new street <laughs> or something nah, like that. Like, nah. Okay, just a high five. Man. Yep, good old high five. And uh, so I, <laughs> I drank the bong water, and I remember getting so messed up, dude. I was I was faded, and, and I was lit. And then that bong water really topped it off, and I was pissing on the side of the house. <laughs> and I fall over with my everything, and I'm like, I'm like staring at the stars, and I just spin out, and I wake up in my bed, dude, the next morning, and my grandma's going, Justin, Justin, I'm going to church. Are you still coming? I and hate those nights. <laughs> So I look at my grandma and I'm like, my head's pounding and I'm still spinning and I'm looking at her. I'm like, I don't feel good, grandma. And she goes, well, yeah, you got I heart and a dick on your face. Wow. <laughs> I said, yeah. So I was like, <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I skipped church that day and then, you know, right back at it. But, um, later on down the road, man, uh, this whole time, like ever since I was a little kid, man, I was on Ritalin and Adderall because uh, apparently I had ADD or ADHD or whatever. And um, so by the time I was like 17, you know, I, I had this chick at school. She was like, you get prescribed Adderall? I said, yeah, why? She's like, that stuff's like meth. You sell me some? I said, well, I'll just give you some. I didn't know you'd get high off of it. And uh, from there on, I started doing that with my mom and my, my lady at the time, which is my daughter's mother. And so my mom busts out this big grocery bag of a three-year supply full of Adderall. Yeah, and she was like, you can go in and grab one whenever you need. And I was like, all right. I was like, I'm down for that. So I was selling weed and... Uh, because like 
honestly, selling drugs was more of a bad habit of mine than actually doing the drugs. So, I, uh, I went in, I, I was hanging out with this dude in the neighborhood, and he had bed bugs, dude, to the max. Oh, yeah, like, to the point where you gotta be careful just walking through because they were dropping from the ceiling. Man, I would not be in their house. You tripping. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have been yeah. gone. So, well, I mean, nah, that's, that's, that's what, how bad I was, man. I would go there and smoke spice and do Adderall and just party. You know what I mean? So, and I felt safe there. And, um, so I came home one day and I told my mom you know this dude has bed bugs bad and she freaked out you know what I mean my mom's a drug addict so like meth and and Adderall was her thing and uh she tweaked out on the house man she packed everything up in U-Hauls bed bug you know bombing um she ripped up all the carpets and she was fumigating the house. Well, during that period... Hey, but them bed bugs ain't no joke. <laughs> no, they're not, man. They're little vampires. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you know, everything was out of the house. The carpets were stripped. It was bare. And so it was being fumigated. Me and my lady, we were like, man, you know, we're crashing hard off of Adderall. I was taking like 300 milligrams a day. And uh, I'm like, I'm just going to go in and grab the whole bag. So... I run in the door. I was holding my breath the whole time. Run all the way to the back room to my mom's room, reach in her closet, grab the stash of Adderall, and I book it. And I come running out the house and I'm puking. I fell all lightheaded. And I'm like, were you drunk or high or something? No, no. I was coming down off of Adderall, but from the from the fumes. From oh, the, oh, okay, yeah. okay. Oh, you left a stash inside the house when she yeah. fumigated. Yep, yep. Oh, okay. So I I ended up stealing my mom's whole stash, and I was like, well, you know, we we already did this. Might as well go hard. You know what I mean? So I was selling that, selling weed, popping a bunch, and. Uh, so me, me and my lady at the time, we were doing that too, um, and uh, it got bad, bad. So by the time I ran out, I was about 18 years old, and that's when uh, I decided to try meth. And you know, it was, it was, it was good, man. It was, it was something. You know, it was like, uh, it was like skydiving eating ice cream and having sex all at the same time you know what I mean see I can't understand that man because like I ain't gonna lie I tried meth a few times in my life and every single one I felt like I felt nasty and I, I didn't enjoy it that wasn't for me yeah well I mean I, I don't know uh, my family comes from doing uppers so I mean it's kind of I guess I don't know it's just something I like doing too and uh, so I started doing meth with my uh with my mom and my stepdad and from there on all the way up until 2020 um i was i was using meth man a little bit of heroin in the mix and i started doing smoking it banging it but banging it uh, like the past two years it was from 2017 to 2020 i was slamming dope Wow, meth and too, meth and? Meth and heroin, sometimes crack. Um, I was slamming ketamine with the meth, um, which is apparently really bad, but 
And ketamine, that's like a tranquilizer, right? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's cat tranquilizer. Um, yeah. So, man, it was that stuff is. Oh. But uh, yeah, man. I, so I'll 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 give it to you from here. I'll, I'll move forward. Well, I'm gonna ask you a question though. Um, how did you feel when you first decided to get sober? Comparing the life that you came from to where you at now. Okay, so. The first time I decided to get sober um, was was it was life changing because at the same time I was in treatment and three four days in man I was lying to my PO as soon as I got out of county in in 2018 uh, no 2019 I I had no intentions of getting sober and so as soon as I walked out those doors man I told this chick I was like alright as soon as we go and visit my mom and my sisters take me straight to the dope man and you're my alibi from here on out so and cause my family trusted this chick and I talked her into lying to them all the time which I shouldn't have done man she felt very uncomfortable doing that but um so I at that point I knew that getting high for me was miserable but I still did it anyways um, like it sucks when you don't want to do it, but you do it. Yeah, because I think any addict, nobody wants to get sober. That's yeah. like, it's like, okay, I know I'm up, I know my life's, but do I really want to get sober? Because that little <laughs> voice is saying, nah, keep going, go yeah. hard, go hard, or go home. Yep. But I think it's kind of a accident. We stumble across sobriety, and then we're like, okay. Yep, yep. So my PO told me. You know, you need rehab. And I said, no, I'm, I relapsed once um, since I've been out of county. I don't need rehab. I can just go to a sober living. She's like, no, you need rehab. And that's when I ended up in unhooked recovery. Okay, because, like, I got sober on my own. And I can't say I got sober because it lasted about a year. And, you know, I was back out there again. But a lot of people think they don't need recovery or rehab or treatment or whatever you want to call it. But... Rarely somebody succeeds going that route. You, nine times out of ten, your odds are better to succeed if you go to treatment. Yeah. Yeah. So when I went to Unhooked, man, I never tried rehab, but. How many times have you been to Unhooked? Once. Oh, okay. And uh, I, I ended up, so I ended up going three, four days in. I'm like, you know what? I'm going back on the run. I hung up on my PO. I yelled at the case manager. You know, I cussed everybody out. And some of the guys got to me, man. They uh, they got in my head. They were like, you know. Oh, you were in treatment cussing out your PO. Yeah, yeah. I hung up on her. I was like, you know what? Catch me if you can. I'm going back on the run. You know, this, that. And she's like, all right, well. But she knows where you're at. Yeah, so I mean, I could walk right out and take off. Well, but yeah, but I had all my stuff packed by the time I was saying all this. But um, if, in worst case scenario, I would have left with all out all that stuff. I would have just took off. Um, so the next day, because the guys were like, you know, you should just push it one more day and see how you feel then. And uh, this this BHT, he told me, he's like, you know, thirty days is never enough. I think for anybody because that's just enough time to clear your head yeah. he's like I recommend 60 days if not 90 and so the next day I slept on it man and I I ended up 
telling my case manager I'm staying 90. And I called my PO and I apologized to her, told her I was doing 90. She's like, what's the sudden change? I was like, you know, honestly, I don't know. But I just remember in my head, like I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. If I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna do it all the way. You know, and and that was the same thing with my addiction. I, I went all the way. There was no half, half doing anything halfway, you know? Yeah. And so my mission was to die. I didn't want my daughter getting old enough to know exactly who I was if I was going to be stuck in my ways. And so after treatment, I it's good because treatment teaches you a lot about yourself and learning to recognize your your who you are as a person and your your character defects. Yeah. You know, so and and I was able to just take all that time to realize what I do that ruins me, you know, because I'm your, I'm my own worst enemy. Hey, it really sucks when you start realizing how much you suck. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's a cold shot. Like, wow, I am really, you know, messed up. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's one thing I like about the fourth step, you know, because the fourth step breaks it down to where you're blaming everyone else for your problems. Everything in the world is messed up but me. And then you do your fourth step and you're like, wow, the world is perfect, but I'm really messed up, man. That's the third step. <laughs> third step. <laughs> third step is when you, because uh, everybody I interview, we talk about the third step. And it's like, that's when you finally realize that every single problem, well, like 90% of the problems in your life were somehow you were involved with. Yep. Like you caused them somehow, some way, by person, by the way you acted or whatever somehow you were involved yep yep and that's that's where your part comes in you know yeah. um but yeah man uh, i ended up going all the way in it man if i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do it all the way and throughout treatment man my my whole plans for life changed you know i was i had accepted the fact that i was either gonna die end up in prison or you know just continue to do drugs um what what else was crazy was throughout this whole time, you know, there'd been periods where I'd try and get sober or even had the idea of it. And that was honestly just telling my friends and family that I would get sober when really I wasn't. My plan was to make it look like I get sober and then try and maintain, you know, being high without having a, without anybody knowing. Hey, addicts, man, we can do the do like we can put, pull it off well I don't know in our mind we probably think we're pulling it off but yeah. most people know we're f***ing up and it's crazy like the lengths people will go to to cover up their addictions alcoholism it's crazy yup yup um, so and what so I could maintain okay and as my mom as a drug addict too and a meth user um, you were functioning well yeah I was functioning and even she couldn't tell. No one could really tell until I picked up the needle again. Um, so once I was using the needle, like it would start off like, all right, I'm just going to snort it. I'm not going to smoke it. And then I would go and smoke it. And then I'm like, well, you know what? I'm not, I'm not picking up a needle again. And then, you know, next thing you know, I got it in my arm. And the only thing I can see is from my crooks to my shoulder constantly that's the only thing i see until you know i either get caught up or end up ODing. 
Um, yeah, how many times have you OD'd yourself? Uh, four times. Yeah, uh, two of them were on purpose. One wasn't, and then one uh, was someone that was hitting for me, someone that was doing it for me because uh, I was struggling, man. And that's the worst thing, too, man, is when you're in a corner, bawling your eyes out, blood everywhere because you can't hit. You know, life's miserable, you know, and... Uh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. But that's that insanity. Yep, that's the insanity. It's thinking I could do it and get away with it or and hoping that the outcome would be different, you know, instead of having the same problem each time, which I had to come with terms... I had to come to terms with that and uh, accept that it's never going to work. And that's one reason why I get sober. You know, I got I got sober because it's always going to be the same result. It gets um, worse, really. Yeah, it does. It does. You hit a new bottom after a new bottom after a new bottom. And it, you have to be tired, man. You have to be tired at some point. And uh, if you don't and you aren't, then go out and do it until you are. You know what I mean? But see, a lot of people don't make it back when they do try to go that route. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's, it's sad, man, because we're dealing with something that's serious, you know? Life and death. Like, yep. I was telling you, we just lost one the other day, and that's crazy. Like, man, dude gone. Yup. We, we, uh, we, we had the same thing happen um, to me and my, my sponsor and my grand sponsor, man. He, uh, a close friend of ours just passed away of an OD. And it's sad, man, because we had a lot of good times together just in the short period that I knew him. Like his daughter and my daughter would get together and play, you know, and, and uh, you know, my lady knew him. And, and we had good times, man. And it's sad to hear. It was, and anybody can go out like that, any one of us, man. So it's an eye opener. Um, but nobody in addiction or alcoholism thinks about that situation when we out there. We're just trying to, you know, we're being selfish. Oh, selfish. Yeah. Like, you're not thinking about kids, family, parents, friends. You know, it's just like, okay, I want to feel a certain way, so I'm going to do what makes me happy. Yeah, at any, at any means possible. Facts. Yeah, and you don't think about nothing but your next high. Um, yeah, that sucks. Uh, so, one thing I'd like to mention is, um, it's a it's a story... Uh, about the day I went to jail because I spent 13 months in 4th Ave County. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I've never been to prison. Um, I'd been to county a few times, but that was rough. That was really rough, and my only thing in mind was I need to get out there sooner. I'm not doing three years in prison. I got to get out and, you know, get, fit, like, high, and I don't want to go sit in prison. I didn't think, you know, about how there's drugs in prison just as much as there is in the streets, you know? I think it's easier to get in the yard. You ain't yeah. got to go nowhere. <laughs> That's what I hear. Um, so the day I went to County Man is kind of a ridiculous story. This is within a 24-hour period. Um, and this kind of explains, like, how bad it was, too. Uh it started out with me waking up at my dad's house. I was living with him at the time, 
And uh, I wake up to him screaming and yelling at me, saying, oh, you're on drugs, blah, blah, I know you're coming down, you need to get out, you're late for work. I look at the clock and it says 12.05, and I'm like, man, I'm five minutes late. It's walking distance. You know, I was working at a gas station, and I was like, I swear I'm not on drugs. And he's like, you're on drugs. There's a syringe stuck in your foot. Wow. Yeah, so, <laughs> and it was sticking straight up, and I'm like, oh, man. So I grab it, and I'm like, yep. <laughs> I was like, well, this is over with. <laughs> and, and so I'm packing all my stuff, you know. I got my tweaker bag. God knows what's in it. I'm stacking jackets and clothes on top of it, piled like a foot in the air. And I grab my crackhead bike, man, and it's got two flat tires. The chain is falling off. The pedals were falling out. Because, Did you still ride it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still rode it. Um, I grabbed the two new tubes that I had stole from Walmart, and uh, I ended up taking off. Man, the pedals were falling out though because I didn't have one side screwed in. I don't. I don't know what happened. Um, I came out of like a week binge and after crashing that night and so and on top of that i had gout in my foot um Wait, yeah. i don't know what gout is what is that okay so it can happen from uh i believe it's like for me i was told it, it happens from dehydration and it's probably from slamming oh. um your foot swells up really big were you slamming in your foot no, no, no. I always slammed in my arms or my neck. Um, there's a few occasions I slammed, you know, in that area. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, uh, so I had gout, man. My foot was swollen. I could barely walk on it. It hurt. And uh, I was coming down on top of that, so it hurt twice as much. Um, so I'm walking like four miles to my, my buddy's house, which was a friend of my mom's as well. We would use with them. And I, they they weren't too fond of the fact that I was using needles. Yeah. So I got there and I'm like, look, you know, I'm I, I'm not here to you know go into your bathroom and sneak off with some shit, you know, with some stuff. And I just need your dad to, I just need your dad's tools to fix my tubes, and I'll be on my way. And he's like, are you sure you don't want to smoke? I'm like, yeah, no, I'm good. Like, I need to get to a place where I can really get lit. And uh, so his dad comes out. Man, this dude's got one leg. You know, old school white dude, you know, not a single tattoo. But, you know, he's done his time and stuff. Um, so we're, uh, we're fixing my bike. And as soon as I get it fixed, I take off. And I ride six miles on my bike to, uh, to a buddy of mine. And, to get that fixed. Yeah, to get that fixed. Um, so I had a few syringes on me uh i rode all the way out there and i get to this trap house man and it's bad man it was bad like the type where there's rats running over your feet um dogs getting shot up with dope um wow yeah dog they shit. tripping yeah yeah everyone's Not fucking, yeah everyone thinks everyone's a cop types deal you know and and we're all trying to play it cool you know and so I get there and I'm like, man, I really need to get high. And my buddy's like, well, I got it, you know? And he mixed up a spoonful of uh, heroin and then he made one of meth and, and he made one of crack and we did the uh, little vegetable drips that you put in a syringe so it separates the drugs. 
so you know which ones you're doing. Wow, I ain't never heard of that. Wow. <laughs> you know, I never, you know, shot up none. So, so yeah, and uh, I did that, and it was a good, like, total of sixty to eighty units of uh, of drugs, man, and I, it sent me on a on a psychosis right away. Wow, I I remember standing up. And my heart was like, my chest was on fire. It felt like I was stepping into hot coals. So you did all three of them? Yeah, in one shot. And uh, I look over at my buddy, and his tail is rubbing me on the face, man. And he was like, are you okay? Your buddy? Yeah. His tail, your dog, or? No, no, like he looked like a reptilian. (laughs) Like he looked like a lizard, half human. Wow. Yeah, he rubbed his tail on my face, and he's like, are you okay? And I stood up, and I was like, no, 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 no. I can't just sit here. We got to go. So we took off. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah, so we took off, and we went to this little trailer. Mind you, I'm I'm in Apache Junction, so it's like full-on Tweakerville. Everyone's on meth. Hey, let me interrupt you because, like, explain that because I hear stories about how people say they're tripping going through this because I don't understand it because I never you know went that hard on it's crazy (laughs) but you see this you literally see it and believe that it's happening yeah yeah so I mean there's been other cases where I've actually heard recently um that people when they're so messed up on meth that they see things like that like the lizard people well yeah I heard that but wow yeah so it actually happened to me and like a lot of people know I go into a psychosis really fast, so I'm like the type that gets paranoid to the max, um, and I'm just sketched all around, like to the point where I'm walking backwards to the plug's house because I think someone's following me. <laughs> so, yeah, man, and and I and remember. Did you really believe it though? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So we're going. Everyone at that point looked kind of like half lizard. You know, and I'm I'm at this dude's house. We we go across the street to this little trailer, and we're sitting in the back in the shed. And as soon as I get there, man, I was like, all right, no, I'm not in another good place at all, because there was like old shot out ladies <laughs> in in the back behind the trailer with like rigged up showers, and they're naked bathing. And there's no, yeah, and there's no water going. Just old, old saggy tits, man. (laughs) Old saggy tits, you know, just the wrinkly bodies and stuff. And there's no water running and they're just showering. And I'm like, all right, I need to go in and get high (laughs) again. Get out of your mind. (laughs) Get out of my mind. (laughs) I believe I was already out of my mind. So I go into the shed and there was this dude that, uh, that my mom was friends with as well. Um. We were, I was hanging out with my buddy and, and he took me over to this dude's house. We're hanging out in the shed. It's a tiny little shed. He's got like a TV, some homemade storage shelves above the shed in the roof area. He's got a single mattress and we're sitting there and we're making up shots and I'm, I'm over there struggling, trying to hit it and hit a vein. And I'm like. I'm like, dang, man, like, I can't get this. And I look over to ask them for help. And my buddy is sucking this, dude. Yeah. Oh, damn. Yeah. So, and I'm I'm like, oh, my God, really, guys? Like, I'm just trying to get high, man. Like, what part of the game on. is that? Yeah, so I'm, I'm fishing around for my vein, and I get it, and I do it. And I'm like, 
all right, now I got to go. I got to get out of this situation. So you got old ladies naked taking imaginary showers <laughs> yeah. in the backyard, and you got two guys going at it in yeah. there. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so then I take off, and I go back to his house. And I get there, and there's this whole situation where my buddy calls me, and he goes, yo, they're... My mom said that they're they're selling my dad's air compressor, my dead dad's air compressor, and it's like a five hundred dollar big one, you know what I mean? And he was like, they've already sold everything of his. It's the last thing I have from him. So and and like I go out of my way, like I'm a solid dude, even in the streets. You know, if you screw me over or one of my friends, I'm gonna screw you over ten times harder. But other than that, if you're cool with me, I'm cool with you. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I went there. You know, I'm running around. I walk in. I go to my buddy's room. I grab a baseball bat. I'm walking to this little closet where the plug lived, because they had the plug living at his house, and that's the trap house where they were shooting up dogs and rats everywhere. Okay. Um, I walk in. There's three chicks. Some dude waving a syringe everywhere because he had the wiggles. And What's the wiggles? The wiggles, um, like when you're so messed up on meth that you just can't sit still. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. Like you ain't going to find your satellite here, bro. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I run in and I just start beating on him. And these chicks are screaming. And I'm like, where's his air compressor? Where's his air compressor? And he's like, he's out back taking it right now. So I bolt out back. And I'm like, leave the air compressor, dude. You know what I mean? He's like, all right, all right, fine, blah, blah, blah. And I hear one of the chicks in the background saying, ah, the cops are on their way. Da, 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 da. I said, F-. I said, dang, man, I got to go. So I get on my bike and I take off and I'm riding up the main road. I get out of the neighborhood. I'm riding up the main road and I see cherries and blueberries headed my way. So I turn down another main road and I start heading all the way out to my mom's, which I rode another six miles. And so I made it from one end of AJ all the way to the 202 in uh, in Mesa. And like by the time I got there, man, <laughs> I was so beat. You know, I'm not. That's a trip. Yeah. So I get to my mom's and this is where it gets bad. Um, I, no one was there. I wasn't allowed there because I'd brought some chick over and I was staying at my mom's two weeks prior to getting kicked out of my dad's. Um, I'll, I'll tell this real quick. Her dog she got from that trap house would go straight in, find a bed and and piss. So it was a little trap house puppy. And this chick, I was like, dude, your dog's pissing all over my mom's house. She's flipping out. She's like, we got to go. Um, so me and her call up a friend, have him come pick us up. I'm like, well, let's go hit a lick at Home Depot. Let's go boosting. And we get to Home Depot and the dude runs out of gas, bro. And I'm like, dude, like, why didn't you get gas like we're about how are we even going to take off like I was going to walk in grab a $500 welder throw it in the back and we go get high and so we push his car to a QT dude and there the two chicks go into the bathroom 
And I'm like, and this dude's in the back seat, in the back of the trunk, going through everybody's stuff, including mine. And I got this little puppy in my lap, and I know they were getting high without me. So <laughs> that's all you thought about, yeah, right? I was like, oh, man, yeah. they had a secret stash, man. That's that's messed up. And this dog pisses on me, and I'm like, oh. No way, dude. So I walk up to the first couple I see, and I'm like, yo, will you buy this puppy? You know, it needs a good home. It hasn't been fed in like three days. You know, I just, I, you guys look like a loving couple that will take care of this puppy. And the lady was like, oh, honey, look at it. There's a full-blooded German Shepherd. So he's like, how much? I said, five bucks. Wow. <laughs> he was like, sold. And he gave me the five bucks. I put it in the gas. And she comes out, and we're chilling in the car waiting for him. They come back, and we're sitting in the car, and we take off to Home Depot, and she realizes the puppy's gone. And she was like, where's the dog? I said, I sold it. She's like, she just started bawling, bro, crying. And it was a funny situation, because she loved that dog, right? But I was so mad it pissed on me. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was one reason why I sold it, and because I thought they were getting high. Um, yeah, so... Well, I don't want to cut you off, but the background on your history, I just ain't trying to glamorize that lifestyle. Okay, we're, we're okay. going over it because, you know, people out there, they have family and friends that are in addiction. You know, they need to know about it. But at the same time, you know... Like in AA, they tell you don't be telling war stories. Yeah, I'm kind of bad at that. <laughs> you know, it's all good, but to understand, you got to know the whole story. And I get that. But it's like, how was your process of sobriety? How does that come into play now with you being sober? So, just right where I left off with the whole going to my mom's real quick. Uh, this is where the process of me realizing I needed to get sober and get help. Um, I... I ended up at my mom's. I fell asleep in her driveway, and I wasn't really welcome there. Um, I wake up to my sisters going, Justin, Justin, are you okay? And my they were on the phone with my mom, and she's like, tell him he can go inside, have a sandwich, you know, take a shower, this and that. Um, I usually weigh about 230 pounds. I was 145 pounds at the time. Wow. Yeah, so I was going hard, man. I was on a sick run. Um, I, my mom was like, what do you need? You know, ask him what he needs. And my sister asked me, and I was like, water and chapstick. That's it. And uh, from there, you know, my my mom and my stepdad are like, if you stay here, you can't be getting high, da 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 At the same time, they're getting high. And so it turns into a big episode where the cops get called. I tried to, you know, hurt my stepdad, and I got charges, and I ended up in county for a year. Um when I got out, you know, it kind of hurt me deep down what I did, you know, because he's a good dude, and I just wasn't in the right state of mind. And I, I putting my sisters through the situation, man, it was it was an eye opener. So let's talk about that, the regrets, because that seems to be the theme of every alcoholic, every addict, is that all the people that we hurt when under the influence of something, and it's like. In that moment, we don't know what we're doing. We're out of our mind. Yeah. And can you explain some of that for the audience, people out there that find it hard to grasp that notion? So my biggest regrets were uh, letting everybody down, um, letting 
letting friends down, letting my family down. Um, and, and one that really got me was letting my cousin down because more than a cousin, he was like my brother, man. He was like my little brother. And uh, letting my mom down, you know, because deep down it hurt her getting high with her son. And I know my stepdad was uncomfortable with it too. Um, resentment towards my stepdad at the time in our addiction, you know, I felt like everything was his fault. Um, just because when he would get high, he would lose his job. You know, we'd get thrown out of the place, you know, and he was the man of the house. He was paying the bills and I was selling drugs because I didn't, you know, I was trying to help out the best I could. And uh, so I, there's that resentment, you know, which is is quick to get you in as well. Um, and the fear, the, the re so I, I, the regret came in when I seen my sister on the ground with a Glock to her back. What do you mean? When the cops came in. Oh, okay, okay. So I seen my sister on the ground with a Glock to her back and my mom's on the ground too. And she's got bad knees, bad back and stuff. And that was the last thing I seen before I went to County. That was the last thing I seen of them before, you know, and, and it hit me. I spent 13 months thinking about that night, man. And when I got out of county, I didn't know how to cope with those things. Yeah, in your mind is a bad place to be. The regrets and, you know, all that resentments and everything that we think about and we feel now. Because when we were out there, we didn't really feel too much. And yeah. if we did, you know, we smoked it, drank it, slammed it away. Yep. So... Now that being sober, we're starting to get back in touch with these feelings. Yeah. And it's crazy. It's hard to deal with. Yeah. So, man, it's hard to deal with. Um, one of the regret will get to you, man. And so will guilt and shame. Guilt and shame. Um, a lot of people, you'll hear it a lot. Uh, you know, the the drugs and alcohol were our solution, not our problem. Um, that's that's one of those cliche sayings that they got, you know, and a lot of that cliche stuff is true. Um, one of my biggest regrets as well was uh, my son. I haven't seen him since he was three years old. He's seven now. Yeah. Um, and it was because of my addiction. At the time, I was just drinking and smoking weed. And I like I had a bad problem with drinking uh, when I wasn't using drugs. And I can relate. Yeah. So, you know, and she isn't really giving me the option whatsoever unless I really clean up my act and she notices that, um, which I'm hoping one day that'll happen. Uh, another regret, man, is is the things that I put my family, the situations and the environments that I brought along with my addiction, you know, cause I wasn't a very healthy state of mind. I would, uh, you know, my daughter was around, uh, me and my family would fight and argue, um, you know, and, and I always thought stuff was going missing, this and that. And that's where I held resentment towards my stepdad as well, because I always thought he was going through my stuff, you know, taking things. You know, it was always their house, their rules. You know, whatever in their house, that's theirs. And, uh, you know, like 
I just I got paranoid a lot and that was uh, that was a big problem of mine because of the psychosis and everything but it got to me a lot and I held resentment towards my stepmom as well just because you know she would to me she would act like she cared and and say that she loved me but just sometimes when I was high man I would see a look in her eyes like I don't give it I don't care you know I've already gone through this with your father and I'm not gonna do it again type deal you know and uh the the situations I put everybody in man my I regretted it when my grandma passed away in 2017 um I held resentment towards God because she was she was a uh, uh, she was just she was perfect man you know in my eyes she never said a bad word she never smoked or drank um, she was always at church man she was a, a solid Christian woman and when she got stage 4 pancreatic cancer and passed away within 4 months and I was heavy in my addiction and the last time I really got to spend time with her was when she was at my dad's house sick and no one else was home. And she had an accident all over herself and I had to help her get out of the bed and clean her up and stuff. Her uh, her hands and her feet were swollen and red and she couldn't do anything and I just cried, man, I couldn't, I couldn't take it. So I went out and used and then she was in uh in a hospice and the last time i really got to talk to her she would always say you know i love you a bush on the peck and a hug her on the neck and my dad and my stepmom and the kids they were like well, we're going up to see your grandma you should come and i said nah i can't i can't see her like that and i don't want her seeing me like this and so i ended up calling and saying, you know, I love you, a bush on the peck and a hug her on the neck. And then five minutes later, my dad's walking in the door bawling, saying, oh, I'm never going to see my mom again. She's gone. And uh, well, it I'm just hit me. That, yeah, so it hit me hard. Um, and, and I regretted that. And I regretted not going to see her. I regretted the, the, the condition and state of mind I was in at the time. And I, that's when I started, you know, doing everything against God. Like, I just didn't believe in him. I thought he was just there to, you know, make things harder. And that was something I had to work on in my steps. Because, you know, they, God isn't, for me, when I got sober, man, you know, some people have blessings happen instantly. But my buddy John... You know, our friend John, man, he, he had the same problem. You know, things kept happening. Hard, hard things, you know. And just to see what you're going to do. Sometimes God will put you in the same situations and same problems just to test you and see what you're going to do this time. And everything's a test. You know, everything's a test. He's going to test every little thing you do. The way you judge the weather to the point where what are you going to do when you wake up and you don't want to go to work you know or what if you break down 
you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to react like you used to? But those blessings that happened came slowly for me. And I believe that if you just give it to God and you let him take over, you know, as long as you're holding his hand, you got to let him formulate a plan for you so that he can let he can plan for those blessings to come into your life. Um, and that's what I had to do. I had to let go and let God, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, that's part of the process. That's yeah. the steps, man, you know. And for the one, like for the amends, well, we got to make amends to the people we hurt. But for those that we can't make amends to, that's called a living amend. You got to just change your ways, change your behavior. Yep. Don't do the same thing to other people that you did to them. And yep. that's a part of the process. Yep. So, yeah, man, you just, you just let... You, you got to wait for him to formulate a plan. You can't just expect that when you get sober that things are just going to go perfect right away. You know, people are still going to assume, like all those broken promises, people are still going to assume that you're lying because of all those times you'd say, oh, I'm going to get sober. Oh, you know, I'm not going to use again. And you still went out and did. It takes time. Like I'm almost six months clean, man. And my first 90 days, no one believed me. Everyone was like, he's just going to go back out, you know, so why, why care what he's going to say? You know, they want to see action. They want to, it's, a, you know. I ain't even going to lie. When I first met you, man, I was like, nah, he ain't going to make it. Because <laughs> the way you carried yourself, the way you talked, the way you did things, it was like, nah, he going to be out there tripping again. <laughs> Man, I'm I'm happy that you're not. I'm happy that you're here right now. I'm happy you got six months, man. Congratulations. Thank you. I know that's kind of messed up to say, but hey, I'm being honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, a lot of people say that. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, you be clowning and joking around and, you know, having fun. It's like, okay, no, no. <laughs> but that's a beautiful thing, man. It's a really beautiful thing to see you sober. You know, man, it's all good. Yeah, life has got a whole lot better. Um, just in the past month and a half, two months, man, I'll tell you right now some of the blessings that's happened to me. Um, when I got out, me and my stepdad and my mom and my sisters, like me and my stepdad just having a good time on Thanksgiving, hanging out, having, having Thanksgiving dinner. Um, me and him were hanging Christmas lights for my mom. Nice. You know, that was something that was that was something that we did together because we didn't really, you know, I as a kid, I didn't really grow up playing catch with my dad or my stepdad, you know, it was it was me and my stepdad using together and attaching kites with flashy lights to a fishing pole and seeing how far it goes and at three o'clock in the morning, you know? So not using and actually doing something together was a blessing. It felt good, you know, and they'll say that. There's things in life that are going to make you feel so good that it's unforgettable, man. And, and the blessing behind it, man, is just I love life now. I, I really love life. Hey, it's some little things, man. The yeah. little things in life to be grateful for. Yep. And and when you when I was in treatment, they talked about things like that. You know, the small things. And when you start recognizing them, you're like, wow, life is great. You know, you feel serene. And uh, and then just recently, um, me and my daughter's mother, we uh, we're we're working on a relationship together because it was very toxic. We would both use. 
you know, it was an unhealthy relationship. There wasn't a lot of trust and uh, there was a lot of fighting, you know, cops called all that. But uh, she's in recovery now. She's a little over 30 days clean. Um, yeah, so we're we're working on it. You know, we're taking it not not very slow, but we're not taking it fast either. You know, we're making sure that there's boundaries and boundaries are important. Um, but her father and her mother, I haven't been welcome in their house for 10 years. Wow. And just recently, they uh, they let me come in, and and I painted her room for her, cause her room was a disaster from when she was using. You know, there was foils everywhere. You know. And I want to um, touch on that a little bit because nowadays fentanyl that needs to be addressed. I, I want to address it on every single podcast because people are dying left and right because of that, and. Can you explain what it is and, you know, just, just talk about it? Yeah, so with the fentanyl, man, um, I never really got too much into it, but there was times that I would use it. And I know that it, it when I've, because I have a lot of people that do that, like in my life that did that. Um, my cousin and, and my baby mama was one of them, two of them, you know, and um my uncle, the one that I stole the weed from, he uh, he overdosed on fentanyl after being a year clean. Um, my cousin's uh, son's mother passed away. She was a close friend of ours. Um, and, and it's killing people, man. Back in the day, drugs weren't aren't like, they just aren't what they used to be, you know? You take one hit of a pill and you drop dead. Gone. Gone. And especially if you are clean for a little while and then you go and do it again, man, that stuff will get you. I'm going to tell you a story. What's crazy is, you know Mac Miller, right? Yeah. The rapper. The day he died was the last time I tried perks I bought off the street. Yeah. Because, you know, that night, the night before he died, I had a friend... They got me some perks, supposed to be some, you know, Percocets. And, you know, I'm, I, popped, I, I popped half of one because I wasn't sure where I got it from. Plus, I didn't use them like that at the time. Yeah. So, I didn't know what's up. So, I popped half of it. And I felt like bald. Like, at first, I felt good. But then about two, three hours in, I just started feeling crazy. I couldn't breathe. I was just like, just felt weird. And it's like 2, 1 o'clock at night. I'm like, damn, should I go to Walgreens and get me some Narcan? <laughs> In my mind, I'm like, I'm tripping. And what, what let me know it was fentanyl was because, like, there was supposed to be extended release Oxycontin. And they broke easily. Extended release Oxycontin are, like, rubbery. You can't break them. Yeah. Because they know people, you know, try to slam them or do whatever with them. Yeah. So thought about it when I popped it I didn't think about all that but when I started getting sick I was like wow it broke like nothing and I'm like damn somebody got me with some fentanyl yep. and then I just kept eating and th- oh I was throwing up all night too yeah I yep. kept eating and throwing up eating and throwing up and then the next morning I started feeling better 
And then I'm watching like about two o'clock. I'm watching TV. I started feeling good. I'm okay. Can't sleep. And I see on TMZ, Mac Miller died. And I'm like, wow, that is crazy. Yep. And that could have been me if I would have took that whole pill. Yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> but, but listen, though, what's kind of messed up is because in my head, I was like, damn, I spent all this money for these pills. I don't want to just flush them down the toilet. So I started thinking, man, should I slang them to somebody? <laughs> but then I realized, like, nah, that's wrong because that's the mind of an addict. It's like, I need to get my money back. But yeah. I'm like, nah. So I just took the pills, threw them in the flushed them and you know that was that but it's crazy out there man yeah it is man it was probably the best choice you ever made because you probably would have ended up dead man man yeah and i ain't touched a pill since good good yeah um now those pills aren't nothing to mess with man anytime i tried one it was three hits in man and i was puking and sweating bullets yeah. um, i don't know and they taste gross dude they smell like nastiness like straight booty and and they everywhere though because like man yeah i go places to the store uh, hotels everybody walks up on me hey man you need some fentanyl yep. i got a thousand of them i got this i got that i'm like nah i'm good yeah no nah, i've had that actually happen to me a few times as well so far um but yeah no man the uh it's definitely not like heroin was, you know, it's, and a lot of people are doing it because it's cheaper and it gets you higher. You but know? they don't know what they're getting either. Yeah. Every no. pill's different. Yep. It's all different. Um, some are double pressed, some are, you know, weaker than others, you know, one out of a hundred pills, man, one of those will definitely kill you. Yeah. You know? It all depends on who's making them, what batch they came from, and each batch is different. So yep. you might be able to handle one whole pill of one batch and die from half of another one. Yup, yup. Um, and that's where most cases of ODs, I think, are happening, too, is when they they pick up after, you know, having 10 regular ones, and then they go to a different plug, and then they get some stronger ones that they ain't used to, and next thing you know, their head's down to their feet. And they just OD from and and die from you know lack of oxygen, you know because they're knotted so hard. And uh, and have have you ever had to use Narcan? Uh, no, no, I haven't. Don't they give it away free at certain places? Uh, yeah, it's called it's called uh oh man, what is it called? But you can buy it as well, like from, yeah, you, you can know, buy it. Um, you can buy pharmacy. it. Pharmacy. Yep, yep. They have the nasal spray one, and then they have the one that you poke in their chest, um, which is a syringe. Okay. Um, so anybody who has a family member that uses pills or, you know, heroin, you should stock up on some, have one at least, just in case, because you never know. Yeah, yeah. It's always good to have. And pray to God, hopefully, you never need to use it. Yeah, um, so that's one thing as well is, you know, if you do have to use it, um, know that you should definitely call the police or ambulance right away because just because they come out of it and they're up and awake, they can still OD because of the drugs still in their system. So Narcan isn't like a cure for an OD. It's just like sometimes it'll just temporarily work. And that's that's one good reason why. You should definitely get, you know, 911 involved. So Yeah. 
Yeah, always. If an OD is going on, call somebody. Get help. Yep. That's because, man, it's... And I know situations where people have let other people die because they didn't want to deal with the police or ambulance and all that. Yep, yep. Not cool. Yep. So, yeah, I know one thing I know is if, uh, if you don't want police involved... You just tell the 911 dispatch that the person's non-responsive. Don't tell them it's an OD if you just want the ambulance to show up. That's that's something sober livings do. So. Oh, okay. Yep. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. good to know because I know in treatment a guy overdosed off of something, whatever he was on, and they had to give him Narcan, and pretty much they brought him back, saved his life, and I wasn't there. Glad I wasn't, but I heard about it. Like you know, them BHTs really, yeah. you know, earned their paycheck that day because they saved that guy's life. Yeah. Uh, not to mention uh, the BHTs at the treatment I was in. They uh, what made it special about that place, especially like I've never been to another rehab, but uh, for me, just knowing that they actually care for you. Because most of them are in treatment themselves, are in recovery. So they, to them, it's just not, it's not just a paycheck. Um, they actually care, and that's what felt nice. Um, at first, I was like, you know, get away from me. You, you guys are, like, faking being nice. Like, why are you genuinely smiling at me saying, hi, how's your day? It's so cheesy. Like, and then it started growing on me. I was like, man after doing the steps like I'm genuinely happy again like life is good now I know why they're so happy and giddy you know what I mean and everyone the fellowship is big dude oh yeah a lot of them were cool I still see a lot of them every yeah. week yep. every week I'm seeing somebody from you know BHTs I'm seeing them somewhere I go like oh damn what's good man how you living yep. and, you know it's cool it's all love like I always like to tell people like we in a battle we in a war we're on the same team and we're all we got yep yep yeah no i actually have real friends these days you know not friends without the r fiends you know what i mean so um yeah i believe in i think it's na that says it that in order to keep what we have, we got to give it away. Yeah. And that's the whole concept behind the Next Phase podcast because I want to do my part. What I can do, I want to do it. Yeah. And help people out there. Well, yeah, in uh, in the big book, it talks about that, man. It's, it's, it's one alcoholic or addict helping another, and that's how we keep it going. And that's how it stays working in our life. I, I know for me... Helping others, it, it gets me out of my head. So I think outward rather than inward. Yeah. When I'm having, you know, when when I'm having a rough day, the first thing I do is call my sponsee and I see what's going on with him, you know, and just talk with him. Um, but you're right, you know, you got to give it away. You know, it, I, I picture it as like a, a, when we were first in recovery, you know, we were drinking out of the baby bottle. Yeah. Well, you know, once you get to a certain point and you grow, you can't just be selfish. You got to end up handing that baby bottle down to another baby. You know what I mean? So that's how I look at it, man. You can't be stingy. Hey, and realistically, like, I haven't found peace until I started helping other people. I used to be selfish 
by myself and I wasn't happy. But helping other people now, building something that can help other people, it, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Like, I'm at peace. I'm happy. I'm good. I can't complain. That's good. Yeah. Um, going out of my way to help people, man, has been, it keeps me busy. You know, it keeps me involved. And being involved is very important. Yeah. You know, like, just calling people. You know, I know a buddy of mine calls people constantly. Calls, yeah, I know him yeah, too. Yeah, but constantly. Me, so. You know what I mean? So he keeps me on my toes too. Um, but he really gets involved, man, and it keeps me busy. You know, if I sit for too long, I'm looking for the right way to do the wrong things. Facts. Yeah, so when when I start sitting there alone for too long, I'm like, I'm just even five minutes and I'm thinking of bad ideas. You know, I call somebody. I call somebody. And Delusions start creeping back. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> real quick. So, yeah, man, I mean, that definitely is important, too. So. But I appreciate you sitting down with me today. This is love. Yeah, man, I appreciate it, too. You know, we got to spread the word, let everybody know how we doing it. This addiction thing ain't no joke. And we got to do what we can to make it better. So I really appreciate it, Justin. Thank you for sitting down with Next Phase Podcast. Yep, thank you. Have a good night. You too.